Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, and my guest today is Monica Henried, and she is a documentary filmmaker and the daughter of the famous actor Paul Henried. And I look, I'm so happy to have you back on the show. We had so much to talk about last week. We decided to do a second show with Monica. So, Monica, when we talked last week, we were just talking about he had just done Joan of Paris with Michelle Morgan. Tell me a little bit, how was the success of that movie? Well, I think it, it, it did well. It did well. Um, the, shall I say the best news is that it is a film that Betty Davis happened to see. And when Warner Brothers was actually struggling to find someone to play opposite her and now Voyager, she said, well, why don't you go look at this young guy who just did Joan of Paris? So they brought him over to Warner Brothers and uh, caked him with makeup and slicked down his hair and put him in a ridiculous jacket with big shoulder pads and so on and so forth. And he, he did the screen test. And um, luckily, Betty saw it and said, who's that? And they said, well, that's the guy you wanted us to bring over from RKO. And she said, no, that's not him at all. Not even but if you're telling me it's that same human being, well, then you have to test him again. You have to take a, take off the makeup, take you know, get have him wash his hair, get him out of the stupid clothes. So that that was it. I mean, she was really the one who was behind. She was the force behind getting him uh, the job at at Warner Brothers, getting and ultimately the contract and working opposite her and now Voyager. And it's one of my favorite movies. I love now Voyager. I just watched it again last week, and I just I yeah. just loved it. All right, so uh, let's talk about the famous scene lighting the two cigarettes. There's a story behind that, I'm sure. Oh, do they light two cigarettes? I don't remember. Umpteenth million times. I I forgot how many times I kept... I should have counted it. I I just want you to know, Jan, that this is not the most original question I have ever been asked. I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure. Sorry. However, I will answer it again. Um, it's a different audience. My mother and my father <laughs> smoked cigarettes. And when they took road trips, which they loved to do, because I, I believe I mentioned my mother had her own car in Austria, and they loved just leaving the city and going to Salzburg or Innsbruck for a long weekend or whatever have you. Whenever they drove, because it was a standard shift, whoever was actually physically driving the car couldn't light the cigarette. So whoever was in the navigator seat would take out two cigarettes, light them both, and pass it over to the driver. If my mother was driving, my father would do it. If my father was driving, my mother would do it. It was just habit. Uh, apparently, something like this had appeared in other films. People have mentioned that to me. And it is actually in the book, uh, the Proudy book, now Voyager, that there is a sequence about exchanging cigarettes. But when it was put into the script, and it was then attempted, it reads fine. But when you actually tried to do the way it was written in the script, it became all arms and cigarettes back and forth, and it was awkward and uncomfortable, and, and, and my father and Betty just couldn't resolve how to get it done. So at the end of that day, my father, when he got home, was exhausted and grumpy. And I, this is, you know, stories being told me because I don't, I wasn't born yet. But this was something that that annoyed him. Let's put it that way. 
So after describing his unhappy day to my mother, she simply said, why don't you just do what we do? And the next morning, she, when he arrived on the set, he showed Betty the suggestion of, of this, this old habit that he and my mother had shared for years. She loved it. They went to Irving Rapper, who was the director, showed it to him. He hated it. Betty one-upmanshipped him and called Hal Wallace, who was the producer on the film. Hal Wallace loved it. It worked. It was easy. It was comfortable. And to the point where Hal Wallace liked it so much, he actually had it had that piece of business written into the script more often. It was actually only there once, and it now ends up being four or five times, I think. <laughs> well, yeah. I, heard, I, I read when doing some research for this that Irving Rapper wanted it, uh, it, almost, got, it almost cut it out of the film. Oh, yeah. Uh, I would say the relationship between my father, Betty, and Irving Rapper was uh, not cool. <laughs> there was there was not uh, a lot of uh, I don't know if respect is the right word. It was it was personality differences, and and Betty, who was a gang of her own, uh, had my father to support her in her her thoughts and beliefs as to how certain scenes should be played. Betty also supported my father. And again, as I said, he had great confidence and would say, no, this this character would approach it this way, or this is more natural for him to do. She supported him. So Irving Rapper kind of got, I won't say pushed aside, but he was sort of third man on the totem pole. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not usually a comfortable place for a director. The director likes to be, you know, top of the totem pole right right and but when you have the producer who's you know obviously oversees everything uh behind the two stars then that makes it uh you know even more that formidable and well betty davis was a force of her own (laughs) no question about it pretty much great yeah i loved her i just loved her me i i you, you, did you have a chance to meet her through the years? She was like a second mother. Oh, my gosh. Tell me about I, that. I love I her. I know her, knew her, or got to know her very well from, well, my parents and Betty became very, very good friends because of Now Voyager, and their friendship lasted until she passed away, which was, what, 40, 48 years, 46 years or something wow. like that. They were, they were good friends. When she was on the West Coast, she would come to our house very often um, lunches, dinners, talks well into the evening. Uh, we would go to uh, her home. Oh, well, my parents, being European, um, didn't have tremendous uh, Thanksgiving, didn't have tremendous significance for them. And the idea of my father eating a turkey was just so out of the question that I don't think we ever even had a turkey in our house ever for any reason. But Betty, being the all American American, that New Englander with all that spirit, we would go to her house for Thanksgiving dinner and it would be the whole family and everybody else's families. It was usually, you know, probably 20 adults and always almost as many children. And it would be a true Thanksgiving meal. I mean, that's how I learned about Thanksgiving. Wow. Wow. What was she like? She was great. What was she, she was absolutely great. Absolutely. Like you say, she was a force of her own. She was uh, phenomenal. If she, if she was your friend, that's about the only friend you needed. I mean, she was just amazing. An amazing, amazing woman. Confident and yet gentle and sweet and um, just, I, there's just, there are no words. I just loved her to pieces. Mm. Well, to me, she's one of the greatest actresses that ever lived, especially during that yeah, era. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, say that again. 
Oh, oh, that too. Oh, that too. Yes, I know. Yeah. Mer- Merle Streep for this this generation, and Betty Davis for that generation. And and I know that Betty Davis has is an inspiration to Merle Streep, and always has been too. And right. she has been an inspiration to many actors. And there were so many great actresses from that era. I mean, you know, Barbara Stanwyck, and I mean, just many, 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 many. Didn't they do another film together, your father and Betty Davis? Did they do another? Yes, film? As what was co-stars? As co-stars, they did another film called Deception. Oh, deception. That's right. Yeah, and it didn't. That didn't work out well for Irving Rapper either, who was their director. <laughs> he directed that. that one too. Okay. Yeah, I saw that one too when I was homesick in bed. <laughs> so I did yeah. see it. Yeah, it wasn't as good. <laughs> yeah, as, but, but it's the film belongs. I mean, Betty and my father aside, they're they're wonderful together, and it's always yes. fun watching them together. Yes, but that film belongs to Claude Rains. Mm, yes, absolutely belongs to Claude Rains. Yeah. He chose the scenery in that <laughs> yes. like no one else's business. I mean, he's the, and the three of them together in the sequences that the three of them are together. You can see it. It's in the eyes, the way they look at each other, the way they the, the, the well again. That's acting. That's what it's called. Right. And, and luckily, again, Irving Rapper backed off as necessary and just let these three professionals go at each other. So, for instance, the sequence in the restaurant is just priceless. And it's not just that, that Claude Rains is having more than more fun than any actor should ever have. <laughs> but watching how my father and Betty are watching him and watching each other and back and forth. I mean, it's it's just priceless. He's, he is just brilliant in that film. Mm-hmm. You know, superb actor in the first place. But in, just for me in Deception, it, he, he owns it. That's his. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, you could just see he was relishing his role. And it brought the three of them back together again, too. It did, you know, yes. Uh, and, and, then, and then we move on to the iconic role of Victor Laszlo in Casablanca, which I again watched again for the umpteenth time, um, <laughs> again with Claude Rains and your father. Talk a little bit about that. How, you know, how did he get that role, and how did he feel about that role? Um. How did he get that role? He was there. He was under contract at Warner Brothers. He was across the alley shooting now Voyager. I mean, that's it. (laughs) That was it? Yeah, he was there. And actually, he turned it down. He didn't want to do it. And why? Why did he turn it down, Monica? Well, because he had now had two films under his belt where he was the leading man opposite the leading lady. And it was only their two names above the title. And placement like that is is really very important and very significant. Mm-hmm. And when when he origi- originally read what was given him as Victor Laszlo, it was a, a smaller part. It was maybe closer to the way it had been done in the play originally. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, where there's a lot of time spent talking about Victor Laszlo, but you don't get to see Victor Laszlo. You don't get to meet Victor Laszlo. So his agent uh, by then, <laughs> fortunately, was Lou Wasserman, who also ended up having a pretty good show business career. Yes, he did, yes. And uh, the two of them sort of figured out a way to just say, look, if you want Mr. Henry to be the third actor in this and you want him to be the the he's actually the co-star his character is actually the co-star to rick and elsa so therefore his name needs to be above the title 
and clearly he has to, you know, have uh, walk away with Ilsa in the end. So those two things were negotiated to whatever point. My father was had a terrible cold. He had a, he and Claude Rains both had colds at the end of uh, Now Voyager and were not feeling well at all. But a contract is a contract. They don't. I don't think they held production on Casablanca for Claude Rains, but they did hold my father's scenes closer to the end of the shooting schedule of Casablanca because Bogey had a previous commitment. He had to be finished by a certain day. So it was a typical Hollywood. And for them, for anybody working on the film, it was a job. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody suspected that it would reach the, the ranks of fame and popularity that it has. It was just, it was a job. They were doing their jobs. They were showing up, you know, learning their lines, showing up, hitting their marks, and doing the best they could. I, and that was another one of those sets where there was something new every day, blue pages every day, things being rewritten. Um, my father and Bogey and, and Claude Rains and a few other actors getting very disgruntled with Michael Curtiz and. <laughs> but, but, but what do we have as a result? We yeah. have a masterpiece. Yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's always listed as one of the best movies ever made. So, exactly. you, you know, it's always on the top of the list. If you are just tuning in and you are listening to the Jam Price Show all about movies, and my guest today is the lovely uh, Monica Henried, and she is the uh, is a filmmaker and the daughter of famous film actor Paul Henried, and we are just having such a good time talking about her father's career. So, how was it for your father after? I mean, was it very su- as successful when it came out as it over the years? It's I mean, literally when we watch the movie, we know all the lines. You know, we can. <laughs> say them all out loud i mean was that the reaction to people that people had when that movie came out do you know well i it again stories having been told around the dinner table i think i think it was popular i don't think it was phenomenal i don't think it was what you call now a blockbuster by any means but it did well at the box office it was the timing of the release was perfection because it hit the headlines just when the Casablanca conference was, uh, you know, all over the newspaper. And prior to that, in November, the uh, Operation Torch was all over the newspaper, which also was relative to Morocco and Casablanca. So uh, Warner Brothers did a good marketing uh, thing with that, taking advantage of that. So I I think it was very well received. Uh, it, It wasn't overwhelming but it was popular it actually got popular during the time of uh when when television came about and suddenly there was the demand for 24-hour uh television programming and the stations themselves couldn't possibly afford to make enough product to cover 24 hours and someone came up with the idea well you know all these old studios have all these old movies i bet we can get them cheap Mm. and they did Mm-hmm. And so suddenly all of the middle of America that didn't get to see all of these films could watch them right. any time of the day or night. And a lot of the shows ran the films, you know, five or seven nights in a row. So if you missed it on Monday, you could see it on Tuesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday or or you wanted to see it again, you could see it as many times as you wanted within a week because it would play for an, for an entire week on these on these uh, television channels across the country. Wow, amazing. What, how do you think or why do you think it developed this legendary uh, status that it has? And it keeps growing. Well, it seems like every year it, it keeps growing, the, you know, the, the mythology around Casablanca. Yeah. Well, I know, I, again, this is one of those questions I've been asked a lot. And for me, the answer is integrity. 
It's the integrity of the characters. Everybody in the film does the right thing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. They all behave properly. They all... It would be wrong. Well, first of all, the, the, the censors would never allow a married woman to stay behind with her lover and put her husband on an airplane and say goodbye. That would never happen in <laughs> right. 1942. Yeah. But there's something about the... There are all sorts of layers of love. There's all the, sorts of different kinds of love. And at this particular time, in this particular film love of principle, love of companion not companionship, I don't mean it in that way, but there was there was it was bigger than romantic love. And even even Bogie's character, even Rick goes off and implies that he's now, you know, back. He's joining the fight. He's gonna help the good guys win. Mm-hmm. He's gonna go off with Louie and they're gonna figure out how to knock down the Nazis, you know, mm-hmm. everybody, the, the principal characters that you care about, the people, you want them as your friends, you want Rick and Ilsa and Victor to be your friends and, mm-hmm. and Louis, you know, you want to hang out with these guys. Right. right. And that has a tremendous influence uh, to, on an audience. You, it, That's why people see this film over and over and over again, because it's like sitting down with your old friends. What is my old friend going to do? Well, we know what he's going to do. So what is he going to say? Well, we know what he's going to do. It doesn't matter. It's, like it's, it's comfortable. You know? We love these guys. Yeah, well, it's our comfort food. Maybe we need that more than ever in everything that's going on in, in the world today. And, and so many people who don't have integrity, it's like it's, it's like a foreign word anymore. Absolutely. Uh, you know, just yeah. constantly we read about something somebody else has done that's totally out of integrity. And it's... Uh, it's such a such an important for me. It's just one of those important qualities to have in, in, in any of my friends is that they have integrity, and so exactly. maybe that's why we resonate so much. You're right about this movie. You're you're correct when you say that, and I hadn't thought about it quite like that. But you're right. Yeah. Uh, it, it is definitely that way. So what happened after Casablanca to your father's career? Because here he had two amazing, you know, classic movies back to back that he's so well yeah. known for. What happened after that, Monica? Well, he was at Warner Brothers. He still had, I think, a little bit of a contract with RKO. That was it, it was sort of a dual thing. He was originally contracted to RKO. Then he went to Warner's. He got all of these films at Warner's. And he then he continued making them. However, he was right. He was he. It should have gone, you know, Betty Davis, Betty Davis, Betty Davis, or Betty Davis, Barbara Stanwyck, Ginger Rogers. It should have been. He should have stayed up there with all of the A ladies, just one on one. And mm-hmm. his career kind of started. It would, and I don't mean to say anything negative about any of the actresses he ever worked with. He worked with great actresses. He worked with Ida Lupino. He, he worked mm-hmm. with Olivia de Havilland. You know, he he worked with and Hedy Lamarr. You know, so he was he, he stayed there, but the the films themselves weren't quite the same fabulous quality i mean and again i don't mean to say anything negative it's just right. the way of the world the way it was then he wasn't really relegated to b pictures i don't mean it that way but he was it changed his their per- perception of him changed because he was no longer the a number one leading man he was the second guy to bogey mm-hmm. and it and it changed the hollywood perception of him Oh, that's and too it bad. Switched his career. Well, again, good news, bad news. 
if he had continued doing what I'm suggesting didn't happen and he was just doing he could have gotten caught up in just playing the suave romantic charming leading man right he was a trained actor he never looked at himself as being just a good-looking leading man he had learned fencing he had learned body movement he had learned singing he had learned makeup he had learned stage movement he'd learned set design he'd le- I mean he had gone to school to learn how to become an actor so he wanted to use all of these skills he had he didn't want to get pigeonholed he didn't want to become a cliche so to speak so because of this and a few other things that happened also in his career later on he went off he actually he came up with an idea and went over to RKO and said look I really I'm done with these kind of leading men. I really want to do something different. Uh, I want to be this. Actually, he took, I'm sorry. He actually took this, the idea to Jack Warner first. And Jack Warner said, yeah, well, look, if you want to, if I want a swashbuckler, I've already got Errol Flynn. I don't need you. So he took the idea to, to back to RKO and, and RKO said, well, if we can develop this into a decent script, let's, let's go for it. Let's try it. And he took it to Herman Mankiewicz. And, uh, you know, a bottle of scotch later, there was a deal to, <laughs> there was a deal to write the script for the Spanish Main, ah. which is just a fun, raucous, adventurous, beautifully photographed pirate picture. Sort of a, you know, Robin Hood of the high seas or the Caribbean. You know, it's, it's just a, a, a frolic on the ocean with the most w- gorgeous woman with her flaming red hair, Maureen O'Hara, mm-hmm. and, and a bunch of really gritty and great character actors. And it's just, it's fun. It's, there's not too much to be taken seriously there. And Walter Slezak is the bad guy. I mean, oh, please, it's just delicious. <laughs> well, we'll have to look for that one for sure. Uh, and it's in color. It's the first Technicolor film that that, Parama, that sorry that RKO made. So it got a lot of publicity. It, I think it was the biggest box office that that RKO had that year. You're kidding me! And that's oh, a, it was huge. Wow, and it was that, huge. And that was the the title of it again was the Spanish Main. The Spanish Main. I think they're yes. actually be running that on Turner Classic Movies this month. I think uh, I saw. Well, I hope I hope they run it again and again because it is popular and people do enjoy it. You also get it. My father was very funny. He had a great sense of humor, and you do get to see that a little bit in the Spanish Main. And he was a terrific athlete. He played tennis every day. He swam every day. We would go horseback riding. We bicycle riding, climbing, hiking. Wow. Running on the beach. I mean, he was a real physical guy. So oh. for him to be able to, to show off a little bit in the Spanish main, I think he, he enjoyed that. Well, Monica, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. We could talk for hours and hours and hours. So I look forward to having you back on the show at another time. But thank you so much for the insights about your father and his career oh, it's, and your it's mother. It's my pleasure, truly. And, and again, this is exactly why I'm making the documentary about him. Because his story, for as romantic and heroic as it is on film, his life story is the ups and downs and and the romance is much bigger and much more interesting. I can't wait to see it. Thank you again. Thank you. You're welcome. Go to The Jam Price Show on Facebook to learn more about upcoming shows. And while you're there, please like my page. And to listen to the Price Movie Minute movie reviews and to listen to archived shows that you may have missed, go to thejampriceshow.com. On Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. 
Hi, this is Rich Little. Join me in beautiful Carmel-by-the-Sea the weekend of March the 29th and 30th to celebrate the legendary Doris Day's 97th birthday. Enjoy a 60th anniversary screening of Pillow Talk with film host Ben Makowitz and Q&A with Doris's co-stars Jackie Joseph, Peter Marshall, and me. And a special concert by Michael Feinstein. Auctions, raffle, dog adoptions, and more. Proceeds benefit the Doris Day Animal Foundation. Hey, I'll even bring along Doris's leading men like uh, Clark Gable, uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart, or Terry Grant. Visit DorisDayAnimalFoundation.org for tickets and more information.